Okay, beautiful. Um, well, I don't want to forget saying this before I get my, my props, but, um, you know, happy Father's Day to everyone. Um, it sure sucks that we can't all be together just yet, but it's coming. And uh, I believe if we're faithful, it's coming sooner. Um, so happy Father's Day. I have the privilege of being a father, um, which, is, which is really amazing. So I, I actually want to thank my son, too. His name is Sam. Paul has a son named Sam. They're both first, firstborns. And uh, my son actually ministered to me today. Uh, I was kind of fumbling through the Bible, you know, very confidently, of course. And um, I, said, I said, look, my dad's hands are a little shaky. He's a little nervous right now. And Sam said to me, he said, don't worry, dad, God's with you. And he's seven, all right? He's seven. And so... Um, what a joy to parent, what a joy. And, uh, and so whether we're, whether we're fathers uh, or whether we're sons, it, it's the partnership and the relationship that is, that is really special. And, and I hope to really uh, gush over the father today. I hope to really gush over him and I believe that God's gonna give me some strength as we do that. Uh, so. I want to encourage LCF as we go as well because, you know, I didn't have a title for the message today. I had no title. And then this painting gave me my title. So I don't know who painted that. Okay, Jess painted that. So uh, that's wonderful. I love her, um, but the title and where I want to go today is simply this, my people will be satisfied with my goodness. My people will be satisfied with my goodness. I'm going to just keep remembering things as I go. Before I forget as well, I just want to say good morning from Calvary Church, and I want to say good morning from Gene Enns. I told him that I was going to name drop him. And he said, you're going to have a lot of credibility after you do that. And so, don't go there. Don't go there. Uh, because this message will be very rebuccal then, if, if you go there. But, but hello from Gene, hello from Calvary Church. And, and I personally love, love, love to be with you guys. Um, I've had a very exciting year, we'll say, between uh, having a heart issue in September um, taking a sabbatical and, and coming back refreshed and excited and, and really felt like, felt like I met with the Lord during that sabbatical. So it's been a great year. Um, it's surprising that I was here about a year ago and, and I'm still talking to the camera, Paul. What's, what's with that? It was a different camera. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. So, <laughs> yeah. So I want you guys to be encouraged. Um, God is already connecting our hearts spiritually today because here is my big idea and, and I really didn't have it in words before that. My people will be satisfied with my goodness. That's amazing. That's amazing. And so I want you guys to, to hang on to that because we're going to start a little rough. Okay? And, and, and I think I'm going to be poking just a little bit 
But remember, I'm, I'm going to be poking to myself as well. Okay, and so then it's fair, right? As long as we all poke ourselves as well as everybody else, then it's fair. Time to walk in the light. Well, it's always time, but um, I love, one of my guilty pleasures, I love people watching. Like, like I love it. Like, like I, would almost, I would almost sit down while I'm preaching here and just look at everybody. If, say I stopped talking, and it would just be interesting to see what everybody's reactions are. Some people don't know what to think about this. I can see that in your reactions. People watching. Oh, it's so satisfying. People watching is amazing. You could just go to a mall and stare. And it's like you don't even mean anything bad by it. It's beautiful. It's so intoxicatingly interesting. If you're a people watcher. If you're not, you're kind of creeped out by me right now. And that's okay. But there's lots of people watchers out there. And it's just so much fun. You go there at Christmas, wow, you don't buy any gifts. You're just filled up with people. You get some rebukes, people in your face. It's, it's beautiful. I love watching people. But, but that's what I want to talk about to start. Because people watching does not complement God's people being satisfied with his goodness. It doesn't complement it. We're n humans are amazing. They're amazing. But we never have grown out of only being able to focus on one thing at a time. We can only look at one thing at a time. One thing, right? So, so when September comes and fantasy football season starts, there, there's a bunch of dads that can't parent, right? They only focus on one thing at a time. Yeah, Sunday at noon, right? You get through the service and then you... <laughs> Somebody told me that once. But. Um, so you, we can't do more than one thing. And so although we're made for this, this is what we're made for. This is, this is the highest thing we can ever, ever hope to reach is that we would live a life that is completely satisfied with the goodness of God that never runs out. It never gets stale. It never gets tired. It's never out of date ever. We don't get bored of it. We don't get sick of it. We don't get overly satisfied. We don't get full. We don't get bloated. We don't get addicted like the counterfeits of the world. The things that we want to focus on wear us out. They enslave us. They're cheap, cheap alternatives. But we're made for this. We're made to 100% be, be just so over-the-top motivated by the goodness of God that this is our primary source for being alive. That's why we wake up. We don't wake up to go to a job. We wake up because God, who is good, has good things for us during the day. So it's worth getting up. And some of them are small and minuscule, and some of them are amazing, and they're all good, and they're all worth being super jacked for. Because that's why you're alive. We're alive to be consumed by the goodness of God. It doesn't work out that way. That isn't our experience. People watch. We get consumed and satisfied and full by the things around us. And, and COVID, does this, does this ring true to anyone that, 
that COVID has is, is just been news and news cycles and leaders and conspiracies, and, and they consume us. And it's a hefty price. It is a hefty price to pay. And this has been around forever. This desire to focus our attentions on the things around us rather than the goodness of God which we were intended for. It's been around for, forever and ever. I'm going to be mostly in Psalm 73 if you want to turn there. Psalm 73, it's just, okay, here's a plug for the Psalms. If you're struggling, a Psalm will teach you how to pray. A Psalm will teach you how to scream at the Lord. Do, do you believe that you're allowed to scream at the Lord? Do you believe that you're allowed to complain to the Lord? Do you believe that God wants to hear those things and that I would be here to tell you that God gets glorified when we do. And this isn't the point of the message, but, but if we pray the Psalms, and if we pray our own junk, that's worshiping the Lord. So we can complain and worship at the same time. That's like the two best things in life. You get to complain, and God receives it as worship. Why does he do that? Because we're taking the deepest, darkest, horrible things inside of us and we're offering it to him we're not putting it on facebook we're not slandering other people we're not tearing people down we're saying god this is like the essence of the things that are hurting me right now and i surrender it to you and he's going man that stinks and it's just so beautiful it's just so beautiful it's like a parent you you, you you can get consumed with diapers and they're, they're disgusting and they're, they're gross and yet it's an honor every time you get to change your child's diaper. It really is an honor. And they don't know it and they'll probably never thank you for it and that's really lame, but, but you are serving them in such an intimate way. You're, you're caring for them in such a deep way. It's an honor to do that. And... and and when we get to care for others that way, it's beautiful. And so God really wants to care for us those ways. So let's, let's talk about the psalm. Psalm 73. And we're starting with this, this consumption of other people that we get ourselves into. This people watching that we get ourselves into. Okay. So here's what Psalm 73 says. Starting in verse 4. And now the psalmist is talking about ungodly, kind of nasty people that he's observing. Okay? And then I'm going to explain how he's observing them right after this. So verse 4, so they have, For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. This is a psalm of, of Asaph. Now, who in the world is Asaph. 
If you know who Asaph is, it brings a lot of uh, context to why and how he's complaining. He's complaining about the wicked people that he sees around him as he's people watching. And he's saying, okay, God, what's going on with this? Here I am doing mostly good. Here they are doing mostly bad, at least from my perspective, and you're blessing them. They have influence. They have power. They have riches. They have responsibility. Do we have people like this in our lives? Lots, lots of people. Whether it's people we work with, people we live with, people we're married to, well, not me, but, uh, right? There's all these people around us. And if we're not careful, we start paying more attention to them and the justice that we think they should get rather than the thing that we're most focused and made for, the goodness of God. Because we can't do both. We're just not, we're not able to do both. Even like the most multitasking mom of six cannot worship the Lord and be consumed by the wicked people around them. Can't do it. Cannot do it. All right? And we have ample opportunities to think this about people. Maybe it's people that rule over us, that we're not happy with their decisions. You know, you know who's got a bad gig these days? The government. They got a bad gig. Like, their job sucks. Right? You know who's got a bad gig? Rusin. He's got a bad gig. I feel bad for that guy. He, 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 could, he, he could, like, ab abolish all the restrictions and people would be like, I hate that guy. Like, only now he did it, right? These people have hard jobs. And yet, how much are they living in our thoughts and minds rent-free? How much are we being consumed by them? You know, quote-unquote, satisfied by them. Let me tell you about Asaph. Asaph, who wrote the Psalms, Asaph, who was looking outward and complaining about all the evil around him. Do you know what Asaph's job was? His job was to be right next to the Ark of the Covenant, this, this glory chest about four feet wide and two feet high and two feet deep that contained a budded staff of Aaron, the Ten Commandments with the finger writing of the Lord and a jar of manna. This is the same Ark of the Covenant that traveled around Jericho when it fell. This is the same Ark of the Covenant that went to the Philistines and caused tumors and sickness that they sent off on a cart full of gold just to get out of their town this is the same Ark of the Covenant that when David was bringing it into Jerusalem for the first time, one of the Levites touched it and died. And Asaph's job was to stand in the presence of the most holy thing in the world and sing praises to God. He did it for David and for Solomon. That was his job. Think about the power of consumption of the people and evil around us. Think about how powerful that is. Asaph was next to the most holy thing in the world, 
and he says nothing about it. All, all he's talking about is how wicked he sees the people around him. Is, is, that, not, is that not telling? And this has been the story for all of humanity. Every single one of the faith fathers was consumed by the things around them. Right? Adam and Eve. They traded, they traded God for an apple or a fruit. And there was probably other ones that were way better. Cain. Moses. Jacob, Esau, everyone, Isaac, they all traded God for a circumstance. Sometimes they were only momentary, right? Abraham, the most holy man who ever lived, was so afraid of the surrounding peoples that he told them that his wife, Sarah, was his sister two times. So he didn't even learn on the first time. Think, think of the carnage that would have come if people would have actually taken him at his word and God wouldn't have intervened. That would have been bad. That would have been bad. This miracle mother, right? This miracle mother taken in by a pagan king as their wife, his wife. This is so powerful when we turn. There's this really obscure story in 1 Kings. It, I mean, this thing is weird. It is obscure. It's 1 Kings 13. It's about two prophets. Now, by now, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, had, had messed it up pretty good by being really harsh with the people. And Jeroboam had been mostly faithful already anointed as the next king, was met by a prophet, uh, and was told, you're going to get 10 of the 12 clans of Israel, and you're going to rule over them. But Jeroboam was so insecure that he was constantly fearful that Israel was going to go back to Jerusalem because all the gods were there. All of God was there. And so he was afraid of that. And so he turned them totally pagan. He thought, okay, I'm going to set up different gods so you don't have to go anywhere. Because I, you know, I want my people to stay here. I want them to worship here. So he set up all sorts of calves, all sorts of high places. And a prophet from the Lord in 1 Kings 13 said, was told by God, don't stay anywhere, don't eat anything, don't drink anything, and go prophesy to Jeroboam that, that God's going to, destroy the altar on which you're worshiping. He's going to destroy it. He's going to break it in half. And in fact, God did it right there in Jeroboam's midst with the prophet. Jeroboam, of course, wants to reach out and attack this prophet. So he kind of lunges at him, and his whole arm goes dead. Totally limp, dry, can't even pull it back. And this prophet prays for him and heals his arm. And so this king is very happy. He says, let me bless you. Whatever you want, let me bless you. Come to my home, let me bless you. And the prophet said, even if you gave me half of all your stuff, which would be considerable, I would think, 
I'm, I'm not going to disobey the voice of God. Win, right? Win. Except then, this prophet leaves. And this is when the story really gets weird. Another prophet in the second half of 1 Kings 13, also unnamed, old prophet, um, finds out what this other prophet did to Jeroboam. And he meets him on the road and he says, you got to come over. You got to. And the guy's like, well, God told me I can't do that. And he said, perfect. Perfect. An angel of the Lord just told me you could come to my house and eat and drink there. And the guy, he thought that was a good argument. He went, okay. I, I am hungry. I am thirsty. And if an angel of the Lord told you I must be clear. And as they're, it's such a bizarre story. As they're eating, this prophet who tricked him, well, the Bible says he lied in his prophecy to him. He lied to this guy who had confronted the king. And he blurts it out after the meal. God's, God's unhappy that I lied to you and you followed it. He told you not to eat and drink. I don't know why I said it, but I did, and you believe me. You're going to die now. Like, it's so bizarre. You know, the Old Testament is so bizarre and so amazing. So what happens? He leaves. He, it probably got awkward, and so he's like, I, I think I'm going to take off. You know, son's getting a little, and you're kind of stressing me out with all this, you're going to die stuff, so I'm going to take off. Uh, he leaves. And a lion appears and kills him and leaves him on the road. And here's what's telling. The people that walked by saw a lion just sitting there, a dead prophet, and his donkey. And they're just kind of sitting there. The lion's not eating anyone. The lion's not devouring anything. The donkey's not even running away. Like, that's, that's so obvious. That's so obvious that God said, you missed it. You were so easily persuaded by other words that weren't mine. I, I spoke to you so clearly, and you, and you missed it. LCF, we cannot... We cannot pay attention to two things at once. We, we can't do it no matter how organized you are, no matter how good your day book is, no matter how good you use Google calendars, you, you can't do it. And the grief of all of this is we miss out on the Lord while we're so focused on the things around us. We miss out on the Lord. And it was just a great picture by this prophet he'd heard so powerfully. And he was persuaded. So I read up to verse 9 of Psalm 73. And I want to take us as the the voice of the psalm takes a turn. It says this in verse 21. And this is important for us to remember. So we're easily persuaded by the things around us. We're easily intoxicated by the leaders that we follow, right? And intoxication doesn't mean have to mean good, right? And so sometimes we say, I hate those guys. I, 
They don't control my thoughts. How's that working out? Right? So here's what the psalmist says. And this is all of us. He's like nailing us to the wall here, Asaph. Not very nice being around that ark all the time. Here's what he says in verse 21. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart. Okay? Wow, I, I, I took the blue pill. I, I took the pill of, of looking at people to solve all my problems and be perfect. And, and then if everything perfect is around me, then I can be okay. I took that pill. And, and spiritual indigestion has set in. Right? Really bad one. Verse 22, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. He's confessing to God these things, these things that I was so consumed with in my mind. Not only did they not satisfy me, but they, they hurt me. I was hurt in my soul. I couldn't find you. You know the big thing that, that separates people from animals? And you get this with little kids, right? Like, is that dog going to be in heaven? Right? Is my dog going to be in heaven? Is my cat going to be in heaven? Well, it says somewhere in the Old Testament that cats don't get to go to heaven. I think. It should. Um, the difference between animals and humans is a soul. An ability to know God. An ability to sense him, an ability to speak to him, to be aware of his presence, to say, there is something more, right? It's the thing we feel in the room when worship happens. It's the invitation for holy things. It's the desire, the heart cry that tells us that we were made for something deeper and greater. We had beautiful worship this morning. Beautiful. And, and a dog and cat would be in here, and they're wagging their tails, but, but they're not feeling... Right? They're not hearing the beckoning call of God to come closer, come closer, come closer. Right? And Asaph's saying, I lost that. I was duped. All these people, all these interesting things around me, they promised me so much. I was so smitten by them and I was duped. I have nothing. I'm hollowed out inside. That's a raw deal. Because we were made to be fully satisfied with the goodness of God. And because we were made by that, it's really the only thing that's ever going to give us that thing that we need. I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Hey, hey, hey. Every, everybody here has said that. Everybody. Everybody's heart has testified to those exact words when sin has overwhelmed us. I, I guarantee it. I, I guarantee it. I was the messiest new Christian who ever was. I, I felt that a lot. You know, and, and your guys' experience was probably all way better than mine, but you probably still felt it a little. All right? So other people are saying they're messy too. Anybody else? Anybody else want to testify? Right? So people are testifying. 
I, I can see it. You guys can't see it, but people are testifying. You know what? D declare that to the Lord in your living room. Look silly in front of your kids for one second. Put your hand up. God's going to bless you. He's going to bless that humility. Man, man, God is good. All right. And God, being so amazing and the best dad ever, and so loving and patient, so full of grace and mercy, when we never, ever deserve it, God showed up as the prodigal son's father, right, in Jesus' story. So Jesus comes to the earth and says, everything I say and do points towards my father. Okay, so just so you guys know, if you don't know who my father is yet, everything I say and do points to him. Everything. It is a picture of him all the time. Whether I'm happy, whether I'm mad, without sin, right? Whether I'm eating, whether I'm sleeping, it all points to my father. Everything. Right, that's John 14, John 15, something like that. Maybe 13. It doesn't matter. Mid-John. Um, it's, it's all pointing to the father. Okay, and so he tells the story of the prodigal son in Luke 10, 8, somewhere around there. Early Luke, that's how we're talking about passages now. Early, mid, and, and what happens? The son squanders it all, like all of it. So this father was out of a ton of money. His son comes back totally broken, and, and the, the father runs to him. Okay, so the father wasn't happening to go out for a run and got intercepted by the son, okay? The father was running purely as a result of the son coming back. And, and God is a God who will run to his children and embrace them. No matter what they've done or what they've seen, God is going to embrace them. And he brings us back. So yeah, we get satisfied with temporary things. We get satisfied with people. We get dissatisfied with people. We get totally one-track minded about people. And God in his mercy brings him back. This is what Asaph is saying. This is what the whole Bible is about. God was not passive in redeeming his children. He sent his son. Like, like a human becoming an ant to witness to the anthill times a thousand God sent his son to be brutalized so that he could bring us back like, like the price I, I think I've said this here before the price that is paid determines the worth of the thing that was paid for right right so how much are your shoes worth right how much are they worth I mean, they smell like crazy, so they're not worth a ton. Yeah, they're your brothers, so, I mean, come on, right? Some good blame shifting there, that's good, right? But if somebody pays $600 for your shoes, they're worth $600, right? So if God, if God gives his son the most precious thing that he has, the very essence of himself, who's always been and will always be perfect in every way, gives his son to redeem a people that have gotten so far gone that speaks to the care 
of a father who thinks pretty highly of his redeemed people. Never the, so this is verse 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. Afterward, you will receive me to glory. Who am I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Asaph has come a far way, and, and this is the beauty about the Psalms. They start really messy. The people remember, wait a second, I serve a really awesome God. I'm, I'm very much simplifying and not giving them any uh, glory here, but, and, and, and God brings them back. He brings their attention back, Right? A loving father is never going to rip the attention of their children from another Blippi episode, right? Blippi's a cult, all right? I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> okay, you don't know what Blippi is? Okay, don't watch. I'm just kidding. Uh, kids really love it. Um, God is constantly wanting to bring the attention of his children back to him. He knows that they're not satisfied. He knows that they're hurting themselves. So th this is the, the biggest charge I'm going to give us, uh, kind of as we, as we think, how can we apply these things? This is the words of Jesus. So the man, God, who came to do everything so that people could understand who his father was, even died. He says this in, in chapter 21, verse 20. He's already died. He's already come back. And he's already blowing the minds of his disciples. He's already asked Peter, do you love me three times? Which, that's like the hardest conversation that, it, that it ever was. So if, if God is confronting you about your sin or your bad decisions, Peter had it way worse. All right? God's so loving. This is what he says in verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, so John, following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is that who is going to betray you? So Jesus had already alluded to Peter, you're going to get led to a cross. In some of the words he used, right, you're going to die for me. It's going to look a lot like, like mine did. And history would tell us that that was true. Verse 21 so, so look at Peter. This is almost Peter's best self. And the question, verse 21, when Peter saw him, John, behind them, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? That, that's what Asaph was saying. That's what we're constantly saying. Lord, what about him or her? What are you going to do with them? Yeah, I know you got me all covered, but what are you going to do with them? I think we ask that question a lot. What Verse 22, Jesus said to him, and here's the rebuke, not from me, from Jesus, and he's so good at rebukes. He says, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? He probably said it loving, very shepherdly, right? He probably didn't say, what, it's not, what is that your business anyway? But what is that to you, what happens to him? 
and the charge, you follow me. You follow me. So whatever the distraction is, Landmark Christian Fellowship, whatever the distraction is, whatever the person is, whatever the place, whatever the mask, whatever the restriction, whatever the government, Jesus is saying, what is it to you? Because I got your job, you follow me. So that you can have all of this. I got all of this, and you're so satisfied with everything but that. And you were made for the goodness of God. What is it to you? Right? Think about that antagonist in your, in your mind. God is saying, yeah, I, I, I get that. But, but I, I need you to follow me. Right? We can do this in a couple of ways, and I just want to remind us how much God loves us. The, the couple of ways is with a need and with a want. We have to understand that being satisfied with God is a bodily need as much as it is for water or food. Right? Why do teenagers eat so much more than they should ever be able to because their body is like metamorphosizing minute by minute? And so they're using up so many calories, and I think they're entitled. They think, you know, I'm, I'm 14, so I'm going to blow the roof off this buffet. But there's this intense need. Why do babies eat every two hours? There's this intense need. I got to have it. I got to have it. So our devotional times, our worship times, we need to be needy with the Lord. If I don't know the need, I'm going to be satisfied with something else. Secondly, we need to, we need to want and not simply need. I don't believe that God is as honored as he can be if we simply need him. God, I need you for the day. I'm weak. I'm sinful. I screw up all the time. I say mean things to my children or to my wife, somebody else, right? Not me again, but right? I I say these things. I need you. I need you. I worship because I need you. I'm in your word because I need you because otherwise my life sucks. That's good, but God wants our affections. He wants our affections. He wants us to wake up and be like, ah, like, I know I need this, but like, how often do we do that with food even? Nobody thinks I need to eat today. They think this is going to be amazing. And just so happens that I also need it. So that's wonderful. It does two things at once. And I think often in Christianity, we've gotten hung up with need. We need to do these things. Devotions is a horrible word. A devotion. You know, i.e., I made to do this. I have to do this. I have to do this every day. And we forget the affections of it. God is longing for our affections because He has so much affections for us. Lastly, with just this last story, is that, you know, we had foster kids and they went home, which is sad and also heartbreaking. And, and so what, what do you got to do? You plant a whole mess of grass because then it feels like you still have babies in your home because you have to tend for the grass like a little baby. You got to set your alarm. You got to go water it. You got to make sure it's doing okay. You got to shoot the birds away. 
and then do it again and do it again. And this is important for us to remember. God doesn't tend us out of duty or out of fulfillment of his gigantic God job description. Every minute, every source of his heart that he puts in you for your good, he does it purely for his own pleasure. Every time I come in from watering, my wife goes, man, you love watering the plants. And I love watering the plants. I enjoy every blade of grass. And I rain down hellfire on every weed that would prohibit it. Called par three. It's literally hell. All right? And God loves, loves us and loves to pour himself out on us. He loves to fix you. He loves to change you. He loves to accept you as you are, even though he's growing you. He loves every minute of it. And so we need a lot of convincing. We need a lot of tending. We need a lot of shepherding. And it is his great pleasure to do that for us. Can we let him? Can we let the Lord convince us of who he is and who we are? I saw a dog. Big line. I saw a dog being combed by his owner. This big collie, huge long hair, combed by its owner. And the dog was, you know, because dogs are, you know, was just in it. The dog didn't have a single thought besides this is the best. Now, can an owner comb a dog's hair that fights, bites, scratches, yelps, pees on his feet? No. You have to embrace the care, the tending, the intimacy, the gentleness of the father. That's truly being satisfied in the goodness of God. He is so good. So good. Let's just pray. Let's just um, thank the Lord on Father's Day for who he is. God, I love you. I, I worship you. You're worthy of all praise. You're worthy of our affections and our attentions. Lord, forgive us when we're oh so easily consumed by the things around us, we're consumed by people, we're consumed by leaders, we're consumed by our boss, our spouse, our children, people uh, on a stage, people in the street. We get consumed and we ask God, why haven't you given them their comeuppance? Why haven't you taken care of them? And in that, we lose the very essence that we're to hold on to with all that we have. God, we're made to be consumed by your goodness, by your greatness, and at the expense of all other things. God, we want you and need you. At the expense of all of the distractions that we find, would we hold on to you and no other? Because you're worthy. Amen.